Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to episode 46 of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're staying over in the UK. We are with Dean Seddon, the CEO of Maverick. Dean, you're very welcome to the show. Ryan, thank you for having me. Chuffed to have you. Um, we were just talking about how the UK is open a little bit more than Ireland. You get to go to restaurants and pubs, but uh, rather than stay on that, I'd rather I want to go back a couple of couple of chapters to the beginning. Um, from my research, I can see you grew up around St Helens, Warrington. I think it was a village in between. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, I'm in Newtonly, uh, Newtonly Willows, which well, I was Newtonly Willows, which was. Um, halfway between didn't wanted to be part of Warrington but was actually part of St Helens uh, wanted to be more like Cheshire but was actually ended up in Merseyside um, so it was a really weird place because nobody quite knew where we were and my dad was a miner so I've I, it's funny because I'm now a southerner uh, smack down in Plymouth and um, yeah I just kind of it was a really strange place because I grew up not knowing any of the sophistications of the real world because my dad, uh, sounds awful saying this about my dad, but he's a miner. So none of my family were in business. It was a really, really weird journey I've had. Like worked hard though, I'd say. Worked very hard. Oh, yeah. Mate, a lot of my, I was going to swear then, but I don't know whether it's allowed. No, I don't give a shit. Swear all you want. Shit ton of mistakes. Absolute shit ton of them. But um, yeah, seem to have fared relatively well from it <laughs> there's a couple of villages towns and uh, words that you use that international audiences won't recognize so to put them out of their misery you said merseyside are you a liverpool or a united fan because i notice where you are is kind of in the middle between both oh so i'd be more um oh well it's it's red or blue either side, isn't it? Because you've got yeah. you've got United and City, and you've got Liverpool and Everton. Although Everton are not what they used to be, um, I'd probably hedge towards uh, United, Manchester United, than Liverpool. Fair, fair. I'm I'm not huge into football. I, I I travel a lot, almost every Irish international away game. I go more for the beer than anything else. Anywho, early days growing up, what were some of your favourite memories? Uh, okay, so so um, in high school, we, I I had, you know, the Young Enterprise, I don't really have it in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. So we were part of the Young Enterprise and I set up a little business and we had to raise share capital in the school. I was doing my GCSE business studies and um, I... I think I, I I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but I decided that I was going to do, I was going to raise my shares. We started a school magazine, which is the classic thing. And I love this thing. I, it was like my best memory. The school actually renamed the sixth form building after me because of it. It's really funny. So, so basically what we did is we raised our share capital in our little GCSE business studies project and started a school magazine that we so I think it was three times a week we put it out, just a photocopied magazine, 20p thing. But then what we did is used the money off that to actually buy the shares in all the other um, 
young enterprises that were happening in the company <laughs> in the school. <laughs> um, so effectively, our company start our company in our little. Um, you know, I was like a year nine. So what's that? 13, 14. Yeah. Um, um, was a VC. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy story. And the fact that we started this talking about your father being in the mines and there's not much business experience. I know, there. I know. Like, where did that come from? Do you have, was there anyone that inspired you when you were younger that you looked up to? Um, so business wasn't as hip and trendy back then. So, so now it's like a startup founder with no money and struggling to make it work is like celebrated. But back then it was like, it wasn't a thing. So I think the reason I went down that road was because I wanted to win. And I thought, well, if I own all the companies, I win whichever way I go. So that's why I did it. But if you want an embarrassing, who, who do I look up to? I'm a massive, and this is really silly. I'm a massive Star Trek fan, like huge. Yeah. And so, um, oh, this is really embarrassing. Are you a collectible? Am I a collectible? As in, like, do you collect Star Trek stuff? You're going to show me something, are you? No, I, I don't collect anything whatsoever. <laughs> I've got literally about 100 different collectible pieces in my office. Literally, you can't see it very well on the screen. Yeah, I can see kind of the outline of it. Um, so, so my little hero, sadly and pathetically, and this might lose me some credibility in the business world was actually Captain Kirk. Fair. I have a a colleague in the States that is a collectible of, uh, Star Trek as well. And his background is all that, uh, uh, easy to spot and a great conversation starter. If you, if you can recognize Star Trek memorabilia, uh, because 10 times out of 10, they just, we'll talk for hours on the topic of Star Trek alone, but um, something I've found out about you is one of your favorite quotes is by a guy called Thomas Edison. And it's discontent is the first necessity of progress. Everyone interprets quotes differently. How do you interpret that? I interpret that by for anybody to take action, they have to reach a point where they're fed up of the current reality. Yeah. So, so, um, and that's informed the way I've done our business. It's informed the way I think it's everybody thinks that selling the shiny car and look how amazing the car is. And I've always thought about this in a different way of going, somebody has to be sick of the car they've already got. Yeah. So, so, you know, a lot of people, uh, and this was true of me so much, a lot of the time, we only take action. We only change something when our backs are up against the wall. It's kind of in line with what I've said before uh, to a friend. You're only going to take action when there's a fire underneath your ass. Yeah. And you're, you have a motive to do something. Yeah. Other than that, you can just sit there and kind of coast. And, and if you, not to come back to Star Trek, because I, I could go on for hours. If you relate to that, who's my favorite character or who do I look up to? I know he's fictional. But if you look at Captain Kirk, he was always the underdog. He was always the one that was pressed and pushed and had to overcome something. And so if anything in life, I think you create your own narrative of how your life's going to, you don't, you're not in control of every circumstance, but you are in control of how you interpret it. And that Captain Kirk thing, that quote thing, thing kind of makes me think, actually, I have to do well despite 
I had it's that kind of underdog story narrative, but also that kind of sometimes you have to fight for something, even if you're not happy with it, you have to fight to leave something rather than, you know, the, the pull to something is not as strong as the push away or the, pull, the run. It's easier to run away from something yeah. to run to something. I love the story of an underdog. Nothing gets me riled up more than the story of an underdog. Um, a couple of other things I found out you through research. Uh, I don't know if you still live there, but Cornwall was where yeah. you said you live. Yeah. Uh, dog owner. You like barbecues. You went to your first baseball game in 2013 and you're a husband. So yes. what's one thing that you're into or curious about that not a lot of people know about you? What am I curious about that not a lot of people know about me? Mm-hmm. Oh, massive, massive car, car buff. Uh, absolutely, you know, unfortunately, my my climate change. Uh, my, what's your dream car? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the challenge challenge I have is the cars I love um, would make me some kind of climate change hypocrite. Okay, and what what is if you could have one car? What would that be? Climate aside, it would be. Um, you know the new GSs, the Mercedes GSs, the the uh-huh. square utilitarian things. Or there's yeah, a yeah, Russian, yeah. there's a Russian four by four called a Commander. That's the English version of it. It's just the most huge, chunky, utilitarian off-road vehicles you can imagine. Well, I've always I've always had my eye on um, a Defender. If I was to get a second yeah. vehicle, it would be a Defender. I'd love that. I would. So you left the corporate world to start your own business, previously worked for the likes of Iceland, Office Depot, and a couple of other companies. Um, What had you leave the corporate world? I've never been, I've never been one to be able to follow. I'm the, so, so when I work for people, they said, Dean, your revenue numbers are brilliant. And what you do, but you're an absolute nightmare to work with. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I do things my own way. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're working in a corporate environment where there's processes and and it's like, you know, one company brought me in, they said, this is where we want to get to. And some of our structure is actually causing us to not hit stuff. So I said, give me my own team. Give me my crack team. We'll get there. We got there. We made a million profit in the first year uh, from a million loss the year before but I smashed a lot of heads doing it because I did it my own way. Um, you know, I'd bypass marketing department and get new stuff done. I I'd literally just go my own way and do it. And so I was loved for it, but I'm some people it really pissed them off. Yeah. Yeah. That's a reoccurring trend on this podcast because 99% of the guests are entrepreneurs. And when I ask them that question, it's always around, uh, I don't take direction well, or uh, yeah, t- s- almost similar to what you said. Um, yeah. So you're not alone in that. Uh, and that's probably why you called your company name Maverick. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's somebody once said to me years ago, there's the right way. Yeah. Which is the process and order and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. There's the wrong way. We'll never do that. And there's the other way. And I like to think I'm the other way. So what is your favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur? Well, I think, I think you get to create something that's yours. 
you know, you, everybody says, oh, no, you, um, everybody says, oh, no, no, it's, 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 yeah, it's your baby, but eventually, you know, Maverick is my baby. Uh, and I feel like it's a child and I'm seeing it go forward and the team are going forward. So I love that bit. But also, for me anyway, I have a belief about the way things are to be done and a way that can get things done. And so it's a cause for me as well. So it feels like a cause. And I get, I get I have some degree of control. Mm. I know no entrepreneur really has control, but it feels like you're controlling things. You're setting the agenda. I love that ability yeah. to go, we're going to do something and we're going to throw everything at it. You've done a video previously on talking about how you were terrified of the camera, of, of looking yeah. stupid. And you said it came from one of two places. One being uh, you were, let's say, taken advantage of when you were younger. Uh, you talked about a quarter of a million dollar or a pound deal. Uh, and the second one was you felt like you were drifting slash coast, uh, coasting. To get out of the kind of drifting phase, you ran for political office. Yeah. And that was a moment of change. I want to go back to the first one, the taking advantage of. It sounds like you were, you had your identity attached to the money you made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what would you say to anyone who's in the same pair of shoes you were in all those years ago? So when I did the politics thing, I think that's when it really knocked it out of me properly. Because if you want to be seen as a success... And you go, actually, you're making the mistakes and you, you know, success is attached to money and all of this stuff. What you, en what you end up doing is you're projecting your own insecurity on external people. So you're going, I need to have money to show people I'm a success. Well, you, you obviously don't believe you're a success yourself because you, you, people don't care. And where I realized this was when I was running for um, politics and it was like, you do realize generally speaking when you run for election a third of the people will vote for you because of the color of, of your election ticket wow. a third of you you know red blue yellow what green whatever it is you know uh, blue or blue or red labor or conservative in the uk so a third of people are going to vote for you because you're blue a third of them are going to hate you because they're red yeah. yeah. And some people in the middle won't care or will decide to like you for you. And I'm like, okay. And suddenly I realized, I don't know what it was. I don't need the whole world to like me. I just need the people who, who I need to like me, like me. So, so think about it as a business. Most businesses spend all of their time trying to convince the world that they're good mm. and they should like them. But to actually have a viable business, you probably need, and there's a brilliant book on this called, I think it's called Superfans. You probably need a thousand diehard people to actually really love you. A thousand diehard people. So you're basically trying to convince 7 billion people to not hate you. And in that process, helping a thousand people not love you. So I just went, let's just sod this. If a thousand people like what we do, 
we've got a solid business. So, so I was just like, okay, fine. Don't get me wrong. When we get some kind of email from somebody who doesn't like us or decides that we're, we're doing it the wrong way and they give us war and peace about why we should do it differently, it still cuts. But I'm like, I can't be slowed down by people who are never going to buy from me anyway. Mm-hmm. That's true. In your another video, or maybe the end of that video that I'm referencing, you said your goal became to... At one point, your goal became to avoid going back to where you were. Yeah. How did you push through that? What would that? What would that be considered as? How did you push through that mental uh, soundtrack you had back playing in your head? Oh, that. Oh, this is tough questions. Um, do you know what? A lot of the times, these things just kind of come on us gradually. But but I was like. There's a few times in my life where I've, I've given myself an ultimatum. One of them, and this sounds really bad, but it was a very difficult time, really tough. Um, and I turned around to myself and said, Dean, if you don't turn this around, you're going to be stacking shelves. Now, there's nothing wrong with stacking shelves, but as an entrepreneur who's master of their own destiny and you know all of that stuff and has a cause to fight... I put myself on that ultimatum. And uh, again, coming back to that quote about discontent, if I don't want that, yeah, I motiv- my, motivated myself to do something differently. And so I sometimes give myself these crazy ultimatums to say, if I don't do this, I'm going to do this. Yeah, and it can be used as a fire underneath your ass to kind of get you to move towards that. But um, the reason why I brought up that was because there's been times throughout my early twenties where I've said to myself, the whole objective of what you're doing Reen, is to make sure that you don't go back to what life was like when you were, you know, 18, 19, 20, maybe even 22, you know, up until 24, uh, my bank balance was probably minus. Now I didn't oh, have yeah. much outgoings or anything, but uh, since 24 to uh, probably only six to eight months ago, when I started talking to a counselor, well, my goal was to make sure just don't go into the corporate world. Don't don't go back to the point where you're living off your overdraft. And it's like, well, if you're always if you're meant if your mental space is in the past, that that surely can't be good. So it resonated a lot with me when you had said mm-hmm. at one particular time your goal was to avoid going back to where you were. And for me, chatting to people and then experience and life experiences, being around people who um, who think and act differently that kind of got me out of that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't really care. And now I have a, 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 a short, medium and long-term direction and goal and, and fire to bring me to that. And, you know, working on things you enjoy. And it's kind of personal curiosity. I wanted, cause I, I saw think, a lot of myself when you, when you said that. I think so. So where I am today is the process of eliminating what I didn't want. And so I didn't want to be in a corporate world. I didn't want to have to do things in a particular way. And so I thought, well, if I don't embrace the way I want to do things, I'm going to have to do what they're one of those things or some of those things. So yeah. for an example, the suit, the, uh, the way I present things, the way I do stuff. I started to list out all the stuff about corporate reports and certain processes and things that I know I'm not good at. But if, if I wanted to be the top of my game and do it in the corporate world, 
where most frankly, that's where you either run your own business, you're a salesperson or you're in the corporate world. Yeah. Yep. And if I wanted, I wanted to be um, and do things and help people change the way they think about growing and scaling businesses. And I pick some areas to do it. I either went into the corporate world. Yeah. Or did things in a way where I was respected in the corporate world, or I went the total opposite way and went my way and got them to like my way. And the, the put again, we come back to that push of, I don't want to do that. So I had to embrace this. And sometimes I feel uncomfortable because I think maybe I'm going too far sometimes. And then we, we've, you know, only recently people have started messaging and saying things like, your no nonsense way of putting it just cuts through the corporate crap. Uh, and one person said, you know, what you said in half an hour, I've got in a strategy report that's 300 pages. And nobody that must make it feel good though. Yeah. And that's like, okay, now I get it. But the scary thing is, the scary thing is you have to leave, you have to run away from all of that stuff and say, if, if that's not me, I have to do something different. Mm. but that can feel very lonely for quite a while. Yeah. And very like the wrong choice. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're a minority compared to the majority. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to a lighter topic. You've traveled a lot with work and you've yeah. worked over in the States. Uh, Idaho is one of the places you've worked. What's your favorite city? doesn't have to be in the States worldwide. My favorite city in the whole world. Yeah. Miami. Okay. Why Miami? Um, I just love the very relaxed nature of it. It's got the mix of South America and mainstream America. The weather's very good. I don't do well with the cold. Um, and I love that mix of beach and city. Um, and the, the, it's, it's got a very kind of more relaxed culture. And I, I love it. Is that why you're living in Cornwall? Because... Life down there seems to be pretty good compared to up north. Um, the reason I'm still here, because I had a choice a few years ago to relocate back to a major city or north. The reason I'm still here is because it's probably one of the warmest places in the UK. Yeah. So. No, that makes perfect sense. You know, weather is a big thing for me as well. But I say that and, and I'm still living in Dublin, Ireland and... It's not the sunniest place in the world, but it's better than the west coast of Ireland where the Atlantic Sea smacks against the coast. You talk a lot about content, mm -hmm. recent LinkedIn posts around good content. Uh, I think there's a, there, there's a lack of good content out there. And in your eyes, what makes good content? It depends what you want to get from it. So, so um, for an example, um, I... I put stuff out that tries to get people to think and tries to get people to see my way of thinking. So if I can get people to see my way of thinking, that's good content for me. Yeah. So um, I, I talk about the influencer paradox that people chase and follow what will get them likes and views. And the problem with that is you end up building something that you follow the crowd. So what appeals to the crowd? And actually, this is a problem in politics. This isn't just about content. This is about life. There's two ways to do things. Uh, there's get people to think your way, yeah, and show people a different way and your take on the world and, you know, 
and get people to engage with that. Or there's the other side of this of you just follow where the interest is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Instagram example. Yeah. I'll go make an Instagram account about palm trees. I'll get thousand followers and I'll keep building it up and building it up. And I'll be like the, the, the palm tree person. But if I don't care about palm trees uh, and uh, I can't sell, uh, you know, I'm not going to sell anything other than palm trees, you know, seeds for palm trees, coconuts or whatever. Um, it's no interest to me. So yeah. I, I'm very much like, I'm a firm believer in you've got a cause, go find it and then bring the world your way if you can. I love that because, and it's come up on a recent podcast, uh, maybe one or two episodes ago, you touched on likes, engagement, and and don't let that be a measure of what motivates you to post content. Um, someone said something on a previous podcast and it was, it hit me in the head, it was, when you're starting a podcast, don't focus on the number of downloads as your measurement of success. Focus on the new relationships you're building as your measurement of success. So at the end of the six months, if you recorded a daily podcast, you know, you formed... I don't know, I'm not great at math, like 18 new relationships compared to X amount of downloads. Because if you're focused on the downloads, you'll give up pretty fast. But if you're mm-hmm. focused on all the, you know, acquaintance-like relationships, mm-hmm. you'll you'll continue to push yourself forward. And you seem to be aligned with that thought in terms of creating content, that the goal should not be likes. No, no. Uh, the The... I mean, the problem with the problem with social media is you need the likes and the comments for reach. Yeah. But you shouldn't follow that. So you can see people, for example, posting funny videos and they get thousands of followers. But then when they try and promote their business, it's like nothing. I've tried to balance that and go, I want to show my my version of how things should be done. And that's the path I'm going to follow. And, you know, I took a pot shot of crypto today because I get annoyed with it. Yeah. And I, I think to some degree that whole world's going to get sorted out. Unpopular opinion because crypto is going to change the world. You know, I find life always finds its balance. It always finds its balance and everything. You know, remember when the book was over? Remember the hard copy books was over? Yeah. And now everybody's like, I really want to read. I find it better to read a real book um so i you know i think everything finds a balance but for me it's about what do you want to say why do you want to say it and build the people around you who agree and believe in what you're trying to do so i'm i'm absolutely on the same page with you yes i'd love to have uh, a million people um engage with me absolutely but if i have to fake me to get the million people then it isn't worth it I want to talk on email marketing. Before we get to that, you 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 sparked a thought in my head. The the posts that frustrate me most are the ones that said the the your third at will bring you on a trip to so and so. And I'm thinking, going now, all that person is doing, the creator of that account, is trying to get as many people to comment on it, so it drives up engagement and makes the post goes viral. But there's no value add in it. So, like, what's the end goal of it? Just to say that you got a post that had two million people view it because you can't do anything with it i I know why there is there's 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 the social proof element of that so so if you want to get social proof of you then then i know that's it's really shallow but it does work you can you know if you go do a viral post you get two million views 
uh, and you can do that consistently or to some degree, you will grow a following of people who love your 2 million view style posts. And then you can leverage that. So um, who was the guys who basically um, uh, stole all the memes that people had made? Do you remember that? There was a, a guy who, I can't remember his name. Um, what a, what fuck, social fuck, platform fuck was it on? Fuck Jerry. Fuck Jerry, the call. Okay. Yeah, so they basically stole other people's memes, leveraged the hell out of them on um, Instagram, I think, and Facebook. Tons and tons of followers. And then off the back of doing all of that, created their own content agency, right? Saying, look how cool we are because we've had this many views and this many views and this many views. So they, they built a business to sell that to other people. I can understand that business. Yeah. Um, but if you're just doing it, I can understand the social proof element. I can understand um, the gaming of the algorithm element. Um, but if you're doing it just to satisfy yourself, you know, don't deceive yourself. It's all about did the right people engage with it? If they didn't, it's a waste of time. Mm. So, so there's two elements of it. There's the social proof like Fuck Jerry, um, where they basically, they're a controversial group. They were behind the fire festival. But that's what they did, effectively. They they built this social proof, and that's how Firefestal managed to leverage it, because look how big and influential we are. Um, so maybe not a great example of social proof, or maybe it is, I don't know. The other side oh, is it, gaming the algor algorithms. If it achieved their goal, then it's a great example. Yeah. Biggest mistake you see people make when it comes to email marketing. There's lots. One is not knowing how to convince people uh, to respond so they 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 send stuff that doesn't elicit a response can you give me an example of what that might look like um so i get lots of them cold email where it's basically hey do you need seo and you know we do this 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 there's nowhere in it is they're striking up a conversation yeah so uh, like a next step yeah so so what what is it so what, what do you want from this? Uh, or I see the other ones where it's just blasting information and do you want a call, but not really telling people any value of to why they need the call. You did a video a while ago and the video was titled Why Planning is Useless. It's a bold statement. Was that a catchy title or was there a reason why you think planning is useless? So, so I'm, I'm, I'm an iterator rather than a planner. So, so um, the problem with planning is it's all theory. It's all theory. So you can have a rough guide of this is where we want to go and this is where we get to. But as soon as you start to, to implement that plan, it bears no resemblance to reality. You do a marketing campaign and by, you know, you write the campaign plan, you write the concept and everything. And all the way through that creative process, there's deviations and changes. It's anything, building a business, building... Other than building a building, all plans change on process. And in fact, even building plans change on process. Yeah. yeah. So, so people, I've, I know people who've got, oh, we've got this three-year plan and they're stuck because the plan isn't working. But they, they won't deviate from the plan. Um, so I'm, I'm an iterator. So I go, this is the broadly what we want to achieve. What's our first milestone? And then how do we get there? How do we get there? So I'm, I'm not a planet. I've got a trajectory and I know what the trajectory is, but, but as for a plan, 
sometimes iterators cause more problems. I was speaking to our graphic designer um, and, you know, our website is always in a constant state of update because we test new messages and check them all out. So it's constantly changing rather than some people will plan for 12 months, build something, then find out it doesn't work and then go back to the drawing board. I've, 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 I can point to many examples of that. Your website is a slick website. You have achieved a lot to date in your career. What continues to drive you? I'm probably slightly megalomaniac in that I want to change the world. <laughs> no, um, I, I guess, okay. So when I was growing up, um, you know, I'll get the violin out. My parents were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But there was nobody in my family who'd run a business. Um, when I went through that process, um, I found it really hard. I went to a, um, a government organization to get a startup grant at the time, and it was a thousand pounds. And that was still not a lot of money back then. And I went through this whole process with people, ex-bank managers trying to get my hands on this thousand pounds. And I'm like, eventually I gave up because there was more work to get a thousand quid. I could probably work harder to get a thousand quid than, than tick their boxes to get the thousand quid. And I've met lots of businesses and lots of people who could do a lot better if they had their business or understood how to set, to promote their business better. And I really believe this. The only way we can, so the only way we can actually change our economy as a, as a country uh, and as a world is actually to, to create more things that people want and need. You can't go, this is political now, sorry. You, there's only so much that the government can do. We have to help, we have to create things, we have to create jobs. And so my big thing that I wanna do, uh, and I, I'm just debating when I would do it, I want to create an aspect of our business which is some kind of micro VC. Yeah. So I don't know how this works yet, but whereby somebody who's got a business idea, it's not going to be the next unicorn, right? So it's not going to be like that, but it might be something that takes four or five people and creates four or five jobs. Yeah. Because 99% of all of the employment in this country is with small businesses. Yeah. So I go, well, hang on a minute. Could we create a micro VC where it's not primarily motivated about profit? It is a little bit, but it's not profit in the sense of, you know, it wants to make a billion profit. It's actually about employment. So it's almost like a government agency without the bureaucracy. Well, uh... now, that, might, that might be like investing two and a half grand in one business. It might yeah. be 500 quid. We do this already in, in Pakistan and India. So we lend money to people in India and Pakistan as uh, to start a business or maybe their machines broke down to repair it. And when they repay it, we lend it back out to somebody else. So the money's constantly being recycled, helping yeah. people in Pakistan and India. But I'd love to do something like in the UK where it makes a little bit. So we just reinvest. the. There's a little bit of interest, which is, goes to charity yeah. uh, goes to a charity but we actually uh, recycle that same money to other people who you know one guy needed a, a bike to do his deliveries yeah so we helped him buy buy a second-hand bike in india yeah so and then they pay it back and it goes actually some woman needed a donkey 
Yeah. So we got. Wow. So that that I really love that idea, and it's not huge amounts of money because it's it's developing countries. But imagine if we could do something like that here. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and and, and uh, it was around billionaires, uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, Bill Gates, and it was some people wanting the billionaires, uh, their companies to be kind of taken control of so that you can only grow to a certain extent so that you can't kind of just dominate everything. And then someone else had the other argument of, well, if you do that, you uh, don't, you're not stimulating the Elon Musk's, the Bill Gates, the Jeff Bezos of the world, and those people, the destructors, the different different kind of people, they are not, they're what we need to create new things to move society forward. So it was an argument of, do you put a cap on and uh, control, or do you let them run free so that we can continue to evolve and change? So um, I think it's tricky if you try and impose a cap because it will will stifle innovation because the next multi-billion dollar idea that comes out, nobody will have the incentive to actually make it happen. But here's another thought. Jeff Bezos, yeah, um, He's a billionaire, but but this billionaire phrase is banded round. But how much of his billionaire wealth is stock versus actual money? Well, ninety nine percent. Yeah. So when you look at it, and I remember, I remember Lord Sugar uh, was on an interview, and he said he's not a billionaire. I don't think, or if he is, he's he's at the low end of the billionaires club. If he is. And somebody asked him, how much money could you lay your hands on right now? And he said, in cash. And he said about 10 million quid. Right? So you look at it and you go, uh, I'm not sure it makes any difference whatsoever if you break these billion pound companies up mm. at all. I don't, I'm not sure it makes any difference because the reality is, it's not tons of billions and billions of pounds being siphoned into one person because the wealth is made. It's art. It's paper wealth. Most of it is paper wealth. Now. Yeah. If he sells up all of his Amazon shares, right. um, um, Yeah. He'll cash in hugely, but he's not sucked profits from Amazon to make himself rich. You know, he's not Philip Green, where he takes a billion pound out of his company and then it goes bust 10 years later. Yeah. He's just living off the profits, you know, a, a salary and he's got share wealth. Yep. So so if you if you cut it, cut, break it up. It's not. I don't think it's going to make any difference. And if he wanted to pull any of his shares, there's things in place like he has to serve six months or wait for it to hit a certain market cap or yeah. give give notice so it's not an immediate like i'm pulling today and i get I get the cash today yeah. uh, and all of that share wealth is invented it's like a secondary you know everything in this world most things in this world are built a value is built on delivering something people pay for yeah so the amazon share value his wealth is actually a byproduct. Most of it is a byproduct of an actual business doing a service for customers. Yeah. So it, it, you know, if you take break that company up, that wealth disappears as well. True. We're getting near the end. A couple more questions for you. Yeah. Uh, your whole business is around uh, helping others uh, 
get better in terms of marketing, social selling, mm-hmm. uh, mentorship, that kind of thing. Who do you look to for mentorship? Is there someone or do you read books, listen to podcasts, a combination of all three? I am constantly reading, looking at stuff, thinking about stuff. Um, I think uh, biggest thought process, uh, biggest eye opener for me was Elon Musk over how he re-engineered SpaceX and, and going, we've got to build a rocket cheaper than NASA and everybody tell him it can't be done. And he just looked at it, measured it out. So I study a lot of stuff. Uh, I watch what other people are doing and see what, is there anything I don't know? Um, so I'm always aware there's stuff I don't know. And so mm. I'm always looking for how that slots in and explores things. Um, but there's nobody specifically. Um, I just look at lots of different people and lots of different things. Yeah. Okay. Two final questions. If your house, apart from where you live, was burning down, all your loved ones, animals, kids, wife, everything are all safe, what one item would you save if you could only save one? I've got some things... My mum died in 2019 and I've got some things that I'd like to keep of hers um, that she left for me. Um, And my grand, my granddad fought in world war two. So maybe I can have multiple things and he left me his medals. So I've still got his medals. Put it all in one box and you can take that box with you. The box box with everything in. Can I have the box with everything in? (laughs) I'd like you to imagine it's the end of the decade, so it's 2030, and we're looking back on the last nine to 10 years. You can answer this personally or professionally, but what would you like to be looking back on? 2030? Yeah. Uh, Okay, so 2030, I am living in Miami, and Maverick's hit its goal of helping one million businesses grow. Dean, I've uh, had a a great pleasure chatting to you for the last 45, 50 minutes. Uh, I hope that in 2030 you're living in Miami and that Maverick has hit his goal. But for now, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. Beautiful morning, beautiful morning, baby.